welcome to The Over It, a consciousness transforming podcast for exceptional 21st century living. Folks, we have an empathic show today. We're going to be speaking with Elaine Clayton, and we're going to talk about her book, The Way of the Empath, How Compassion, Empathy, and Intuition Can Heal Your World. And you know, folks, we can definitely use that in our world as it exists right now today. And I want you to sit back, take notes, but more importantly, go get the book. This is a great book on being an empath. And so many of us are empaths and we don't know it. Okay. We don't realize. So we'll help you discover if you're an empath or not during today's show. And then get the book because she gives many, many tips on how to manage your energy. And not only tips, she kind of gives you, I'm going to call it a little history behind it so that it makes sense to you. Okay. Now the information shared on Get Over It uses intuitive and pragmatic insight to help you shift your consciousness to break through blocks and release energy that is no longer needed. Yes, we're going to help you let go of the BS that is holding you back, but you guys know I always ask, are you truly ready to? And by the way, folks, BS is belief system. A bit about me for my new listeners, intuitive since birth. I'm a third generation intuitive with over three decades of experience supporting people to break through the blocks along their path. I'm a strategist for personal and professional transformation, revealing cutting edge information that enables you to prosper and thrive. I spent 25 successful years in corporate America as an executive sales professional, and I am the founder of Healing Visions Ministries and the Northern California Children's Education Network, a 501c3 nonprofit. I provide consultations and healings in all areas of life that heal the mind-body-spirit connection, allowing you to live your very best life. My clients say that I keep it real while providing them accurate information to assist them along their journey as a spirit living a human existence. But they also say, if you really don't want to know, don't ask Monique. My background includes a doctorate in metaphysics, Reiki master teacher, ordained minister, and clinical hypnotherapist. So whether you are stressed, depressed, or possessed, I can help. To find out more about me and my services, go to my website, and that's MoniqueChapman.com, and I invite you to like me on Facebook and follow me on LinkedIn. My guest today, Elaine Clayton, is an artist and author, illustrator of several books for children and adults on intuitive intelligence. She is an intuitive reader, Reiki master and teacher of intuitive empathic development. She has taught in premier independent schools in Atlanta, Boston, New York City, and as visiting author and artist in cities around the United States. Elaine also has worked in community aid organizing and at a Cesar Chavez migrant camp. You can find out more about her by going to her website, and that's elaineclayton.com, E-L-A-I-N-E-C-L-A-Y-T-O-N.com. Welcome, Elaine. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's so great to have you here. I mean, we feel like we have so much energy connected. I'm so happy to have you. Now, the way of the empath, um, so many people I think are empathic. They don't know it. You know, they go to the store and all of a sudden they're feeling weird or they go to a party and feel weird. So tell us your meaning of empath so that we're all on the same page. I love that you brought that up because I, I feel like we all have a moment. Empaths have a moment where they they realize, oh, that's what it is. But you know, um, 
it may take many years for that to occur to the sensitive person. An empath, I think, is a sensitive person, a form of intelligence that they have that is naturally present in them that makes them be aware of the feelings and the energies unseen in an environment or in people around them. The way our perception is we can only go by what we perceive and we may not, um, an empath may not feel exactly the feelings that the person in front of them is having, but it's, it is felt as though it is. In other words, an empath, whether they be a child or a grown up, encounters someone and has an immediate, before the brain can figure it out, has an immediate impression that is, I guess, you know, it's kind of an intuitive emotional because it is felt on an emotional level um, before the brain processes it. Um, the feeling that comes to them, to the impact, is as though they are feeling exactly what that person in front of them is feeling. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, it's hard. You can't really shut that off. We, we, our society does a lot of good, you know, um, sort of attempts to and can condition us to try to ignore it. But I mean, it usually doesn't really work. And um, it's not great for people who are sensitive to be given a message that they're what they're experiencing, first of all, isn't important. And second of all, don't do that. You know, mm -hmm. nobody needs to have that message. But I think empaths come to realization of having that ability because late, because they, um, they in some ways were hiding it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, let's back up and let's talk about um, from birth moving forward, the empathic child, a child comes out is definitely an empath. You know, all I believe that all of us are empathic when we're first born. And as you just alluded to, it's basically society trains us out of it. Um, but to say to the child like me and probably like you that wasn't buying into that training, what can one do to help the sensitive empathic child? Yeah, that's a really good one because knowing that, um, let's say someone is aware that they have a, a, a child who is empathic, like you said, everyone is really, especially when children are born and they're open, their heart is open, their senses are completely wide open. But let's say that uh, someone notices that their child is especially sensitive or they are responding to feelings in their environment as they are learning, I would say um, being very receptive to the feelings of the child, encouraging um, that kind of empathic connection, mm -hmm. you know, and instead of um, shutting it off, turning it down, you know, having an intolerance toward it, cultivating it is something that really helps the child continue to develop emotional intelligence and deepen empathic sensing. And we all are bumping into each other a little. There would be a time when a parent might say, we're doing this right now. And, and at that moment, not connect to the feeling the child has. It's not like anyone's perfect at this, but in general, having an attitude that feeling for others caring for others, having a sense of compassion, being tuned in that way 
valuing that and communicating that to the child through respecting their feelings and encouraging them to have feelings for others. Like I remember when I was very young and I told my mother that my friend, we had wandered into a church in the middle of the day and I thought it was amazing. I was looking up at the high ceiling and I, it was like, I could feel God was there. Mm -hmm. And but my friend, uh, we were probably six or, or so years old. She, she said, I miss my, my, I miss my dad. And she started to cry. She was afraid in there. She wasn't feeling the same things I was. And mm -hmm. I remember telling my mother this after school. Well, my mother was engaged. She was listening. She was conversing with me. She probably asked me, how was your day? And then I remember her saying, when I told her about my friend, she, her response was, oh, she, her father travels and she really misses him. You know, she, she put that there. She could have ignored it. She could have laughed. I've seen people do that where they, someone expresses an emotion and the response is laughing. You know, mm -hmm. she was very kind and sensitive and empathic about this friend. And it, it gave me a layer. It gave me something else to do with the information that had come to me just by simply being with my friend. I could have been numb to it if I had a parent who didn't want to take it and actually treat it as very important to care for her. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, what about the sensitive child that gets picked upon, bullied by the other kids? What can a parent do? Because most kids that get bullied on some level, they're very empathic, in my opinion. Um, what can a parent do to help strengthen that person's boundaries and so that they know who they are? The one thing that you write about in your book that really caught my attention was about unconditional love. But to have the unconditional love, you have to have the self-love first. But if you're a child, you don't necessarily understand that dynamic. No. And if you're a child and you're hurting because you're being treated poorly, people's responses to you are, are not kind. I mean, for, for the child and then for the parent who's aware of that, there is probably, I mean, that is extreme torture. Uh, a parent has, you know, who knows that they need to protect their child has to get on a mission then to do two things, I think. And I, you know, I mean, I'd love to hear what anyone else has to say about it, but one is having to advocate for the child, mm -hmm. um, you know, and the other is to help the child understand and realize who, who it is they're dealing with. And it ultimately, sometimes you have to remove a child from an environment that simply is toxic for that child. Um, you know, there are people that switch schools or homeschool and do other alternative things because you don't have to stay trapped with being where the system itself can't really be improved, you know, mm -hmm. but we have the idea that there's no choice. And I, I think that um, bit by bit, people can figure out maybe I have a choice and maybe I don't have to accept this. Um, so I think it's, it's like this continuing work in progress when you have children and they're super sensitive. You, first of all, you want to validate them. You want to let them know you're, you care about their experience and that you want to participate with the authority that you have as a parent to, um, you know, to make corrections and to, to, uh, 
you know, help demonstrate drawing boundaries and having discussions about what isn't just. The other thing, spiritually, what came to me, and this came to me as a parent, having to learn how to do all this, a lot of times intuitives are not super assertive. They have to learn it the hard way. You know, they have to realize I have to have a boundary and I need to be assertive. I'm so concerned about everyone else's feelings, not advocating for your own. But I remember going into a deep spiritual kind of journey around this topic. And I had a moment where it all became clear and it is connected to what you just said about unconditional love. I literally heard a voice say, as if it were a guide, you know, whispering to me, um, never let anything but love come between you and your child. And it struck me so hard because what happens when we feel someone is being mistreated and they're vulnerable, like an innocent child is, um, all the protective instincts, fear, anger, you know, you name the emotion that can feel negative or like a shadow emotion. None of those are actual, um, they're not wrong to have those responses. Those are normal, you know, instinctual responses. But where I was transformed through that message is knowing if I am the parent, I am the one that can love the child really in a way that nobody else has that gift to do, you know, in the way mm -hmm. that the parent has, you know, mm -hmm. um, even, even a parent who a child may say has failed in some way, that parent is still the parent, you know, and what I realized is that love is none of the other emotions, but when people are teaching your child or they're in an environment where you feel like they're not getting your child or caring about their sensitivity. If it, 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 because it induces fear, it seems to become the thing we focus on the fear aspect. If, mm -hmm. if we focus on the unconditional love, the unquestionable, there's no word for the love that if we focus on that love that we have as a parent to a child, then go forth with that love and I think one thing that is for sure is the parent never gets so afraid and so diminished that the child then has to, in some intrinsic way, believe that um, there's something to all the negative, like there's a reason to be afraid. You know, it's like the saying, love conquers all. I really think if we advocate for children with a sense of love, not fear, that, you know, we, we are guided, you know, more with more clarity and um, results can be, um, I guess, really optimal is one way to put it, you know, fear mm -hmm. takes us down the wrong road. Yes. But people feed off of it and they like it. And that's where bullying comes in. I feel dominated. So I'm going to dominate you. And then even the, uh, the adults want to play around with those energies. They're not necessarily <laughs> consciously aware of it, but they often like it they like to induce fear that yeah. makes them feel valid, you know? So the parent has to be the, be the one in charge. Okay. So at what point, and let's fast forward out of childhood to adulthood or young adulthood. Okay. What point does a person actually realize that they're empathic? Well, this is the, uh, you know, there could be a whole book on this because um, I know the moment I realized I, I knew I was empathic 
different. I felt different very early on. You probably remember that too. Mm-hmm. Just scanning a room, being, you know, in the classroom responding. I was seeing auras. I thought everyone mm-hmm. saw that. I, and, and the teacher's aura was way more interesting than whatever he or she happened to be talking about. Mm-hmm. So I was never the model student because I'm gazing at that aura and getting all these feelings and you know, so there, there are gradations of realizing like, but someone might just think I'm not, I'm not special. I'm worthless. I'm not smart. I hear a lot of adults say that based on how they felt when they were in school, simply because they were tuned in intuitively and empathically with no reinforcement, no appreciation for it. It was harder for them to add on all the other agendas besides the ones that they had that weren't being recognized. So you have it start early, um, you know, when the child does not feel necessarily like they are like everyone else. And then there's a moment usually in, you know, later years, maturing and young adulthood, um, where someone becomes conscious of, oh, that's what it is. Um, I know when it happened to me, I, I was having a great day, but I came home and I this is when I was teaching. I was in my, I was probably 23 or four. Mm-hmm. And I suddenly felt really anxious and I thought, and depressed, you know, you, you know, just heavy in my heart and stomach. And, and I, and I started to roll down the hill with this heavy emotion. And then I stopped myself and I thought, wait a minute, I was having a really great day. What happened? What, why am I feeling? This isn't me because I am having a great day. And then I, I sort of reviewed my whole day and I landed on exactly what it was. It was, it was just in passing, but it was a conversation with someone. And I think I just absorbed everything that they were carrying, Mm. but I was able to then be conscious of it from that point on a little bit more that this isn't always me. The feelings that I have are not always me. They're unprocessed within me, but I pick them up from this and that and this and that. It's, it gets more enjoyable when you when you know that that's part of how you're wired and what what is going on. Mm-hmm. Now you use the you use art to help people work through and understand um, their empathic abilities and who they are as an empath. Tell us more about that and the third eye visions. Well, I think because we're born creators, our our natural predisposition as humans is just to be creating, you know, Uh, you're born, the world is different. The minute you're here, it's a changed place because you're here. There is no other you. So the, the, the reason why I think being in touch with the creative spirit and, and the actions of being creative is it's multifold because they're first of all because you're a creator and that's being attuned and aligned with who you really are two the act of creating renews everything and and is a way of um exercising self-will as it dovetails with some other mystery you know that sort of comes in in the creative process mm-hmm. and, it, and it shows us evidence of the fact that we can take circumstances and make changes to the circumstances in a way that we enjoyed, you know? Um, the other reasons is that when we, the, when we are very young, of course, there's, we have to learn to read and write and, you know, there are so many um, 
limitations to mm-hmm. how people, how people, you know, take kids to go learn these things that creative, imaginative um, exploration is almost not, I mean, it's considered, they'll take it away in a blink if it's there at all. Uh, I think we've gotten better about it, trying to make room for it. But the problem is we don't really nurture it in each other very much. So I think I really love, I think it's probably one of my life missions to get people to um, rediscover that creative spirit so that they can hear themselves and feel themselves and have evidence of their feeling and their creative expression right there. I mean, you would, you probably hear this. It's hard to believe if you ask an adult, what do you love? (laughs) Probably eight people out of 10 will go, Oh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you know, what do you love? Like, what do you love about life? What do you love? You know, and then so I'll start with what's your favorite food? Because we all know what what we don't want to eat. So you can start Mm -hmm. there. But the fact is, it takes time to go inward and to be present with ourselves to know what we love. And a lot of what happens with that creative time spent, if we find something we just simply love making or doing, Mm -hmm. it's start to understand and feel more deeply the other things about life that we love. And then we get to know ourselves and then we value what other people love because we're tuned into, we're curious about what they love also. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's so many reasons for it. Um, I hear a lot of adults say, and this, this started for me when I was a very young adult um, with an art degree, but you know, kids too, um, usually after the age of eight, they'll say, I can't draw. And I would say, of course you can. Um, and some adults would say, you know, I like to draw, but I don't do it because I'm no good at it. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to render. Drawing is just simple. It, it, it's very much just about making marks. So I do teach, um, encourage, I don't even want to use the word teach. I encourage people to get back into expression where you make marks freely. So in my book um, that's making marks discover the art of intuitive drawing, asking people to um, close their eyes and use a non-dominant hand. It's something I've done with people since the eighties. But, you know, to, to um, feel how good it feels just as you make the mark itself, you get into a stream of consciousness flow. It's like a, a dream and a daydream. And next thing you know, you know, you've changed a blank piece of paper to something else, and then you can gaze at it intuitively and see into it. And of course, in the way of the empath, I'm showing ways that you can play with this too. And it is playful. It is about having creativity is a playful place, but look at us. We get so serious so fast. Mm-hmm. I keep telling people spirituality is playful. It's about laughing and having fun. When I have my consultations, we're laughing, we're having fun and the person gets it. Okay. Yeah, they feel it, right? Yeah. And it sticks with them and they're more likely to um, consider the information afterwards, as opposed to going to the, let me scare you to death and give you a negative reading and force you into, you know, calling me forever. Well, and that's a form of bullying. That's exactly why I started writing books on intuition is I, I, 
you know, if you're psychic, you love also going to psychic. So since very early years, I thought it was so much fun. And I knew even as a very young adult, and I'm sure you saw it too, how fear is used to hook people Mm -hmm. to get money out of them, to get control over them. And it's such an abuse. And I thought, what am I doing? Because sometimes people are really talented, but they really love to use fear. And it's terrible to do that to someone who's feeling vulnerable. Um, But I I remember just saying to myself, what am I doing when I'm being psychic? And I'll just share that. And people can skip going to someone unless they really trust them. And it happens to everyone. Sometimes they trust someone and that someone maybe uses fear on them. And uh, it's a real red flag. So I'm sure the people that you read for are so grateful because I think spirituality is a form of create creative energy, right? It's creative energy. So creativity, spirituality, imagination, it's all in the same realm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to touch on this subject and you have a whole chapter in your um, book devoted to it. And that's empathy is not the name of the chapter. I'm um, paraphrasing, but empathy versus ego. Okay. Well, you know, we learn a lot we can't help it. We're animals and we're here to survive, right? So the whole dynamic is about knowledge through learning as a spirit inhabiting a body. So we start early and we have animal instincts. So the ego serves us very well um, in many ways. And the ego does help us in that we become things that the ego wants, you know, And the ego helps us go set ourselves up actually for a lot of spiritual lessons, you know, like if you say, oh, I want to be on the stage, I I want that, I want to be a star, you know, that kind of thing. And then you go set about your life to do that. Um, And then along the way, maybe you realize it in some ways and you're glad you had a, a little sense of ego to go realize some things. But in there too were the worst, hardest lessons you ever had. So I don't really want to badmouth the ego, but the ego is very tricky and the ego only knows, it has its place, but it only knows its own will and its ability to dominate. And so it's a win-lose game with the ego, but, but that's not all we are. We're not about winning and losing. It doesn't have to be about that. So empathic sensing doesn't really seek to dominate win or lose it just wants to get more in that sort of arena of unconditional love that we talked about a few minutes ago Mm -hmm. and the ego really isn't comfortable with that you know the ego will blast us all day long with memories of anyone who hurt us (laughs) any insult yeah yeah i remember it just like it was yesterday it was 42 years ago you know um so, you know, if there's a there's a push and pull, but I think the more we become conscious of what the ego does and how destructive it can be, then we're able to hopefully um, overcome it and work with it, let it have its, um, you know, its role that can serve us, but not let us, don't let us believe that we are whatever the ego says we are. You know, that thing where someone believes that they are what the ego says. In other words, I am a loser. I am a winner. I am great. I am not great. You know, I am stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are all these labels and the ego will get us to believe that that's it. But, 
you know, we're really not just that. It's a game. A lot of the stuff we do in life is in a way a game. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to go out and earn money, right? We have to live, right? Mm-hmm. Is that who I am or is that just the thing I'm having to do? Is my work dependent on winning or am I worthy? And then I have to do these things just to live. And so I'll find ways to do them that, that feel good to me. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. Now we're living in very interesting times. I mean, coming out of the last presidency and I don't want to really get into politics, but the last presidency, this presidency, the queen just dying. So our world is changing. What might empaths be able to influence in this energy that we're currently swimming in? Wow, you know, gosh, I, I have to say that of all the things that we could do as empaths, I think the smallest moments matter the most. In other words, we can't go out and fix the extremes and the polarization. We've all tried. You know, you, you jump in and say, what about this? Can we think of it like that? And, you know, you get in the, into the fray and you could be dead for trying. You know, you can't necessarily change the way the the uh, polarization is taking shape. And it's in, in, in our human nature as well as in extreme weather nature. You know, we see it in, in all kinds of forms. And these times were foretold many times in many ways. So here we are. But I feel like if we look at life as moments where our soul is encountering a person or a situation that each of those moments is a time to empathically connect and to demonstrate love. And I don't, I fail at it plenty. I'm sure. Um, It's not something that we always have on our minds, but if we, I think empaths because we go about the day with our feelings and our heart open we can very slowly, maybe, or not in a flashy way, make an enormous impact just simply by connecting with the essence of love in our interchanges. Okay. Now, when we go to your website, elaineclayton.com, what are we going to find there? Well, I think there are too many topics on my site to tell you the truth, but there's a lot of stuff. So I do readings, intuitive psychic, I'm a medium. Um, books. I have some children's books there, as well as the books for adults that are in the spirit, you know, mind, body, spirit genre. Um, lots of um, classes you could sign up for, for stream drawing, learning how to, you know, draw to kind of get intuitive development going. Um, portraits, sketchbook journal, you name it. There's a gallery. I, I People commission me to do work and I, I paint. A lot of it's spiritual and the figurative artist. So there's a lot of stuff on there. I hope it won't give anyone a headache. Hopefully you'll go and find some artwork and have fun on that site. Yeah, I enjoyed um, looking at it. Now, are you currently open to uh, doing consultations for folks? I am. I have never stopped doing them since I started doing them professionally, you know, like openly and professionally around, I think, 2007. So throughout COVID, I continue because it, you know, like you, it's like worldwide, you may do them by phone or, or Mm -hmm. Zoom or something. Um, But with COVID, I, of course, haven't really been doing in person. I still haven't done in person since COVID quarantine started. 
So most of them right now are um, not in person to say that we maybe hopefully we'll get to do that soon. Um, and, and it could be that, you know, circumstances arises where it's okay to do that. But um, I think it's, you know, it's working right now to, to do them the way I've been doing them. Oh, I, I completely agree. You know, and people say, well, you, how can you get information that way? Well, if you're sitting in front of me, I'm reading your energy. If you're across the world, I'm reading your energy. So it really. I know we wouldn't be able to do it if it didn't work. And also, exactly. you know, most of our coolest experiences are when you get that flash across your heart of someone, you may even have a mini conversation in your head with them at the moment that they that the thought of them came to you mm -hmm. and you're in California and they're in Ohio, but the next thing you know, a few minutes later, a text comes from them. And you haven't heard from them in a year. Well, how did that happen? Distance doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's great to be in person with people, but it doesn't, it's not what makes it work. Intuition doesn't work because of that. You don't need physical proximity in the spirit realm. Um, no, you don't. <laughs> um, you know, it's difficult for people to wrap their mind around it, but um, it, you, it happens, you know, energy just flows. Um, Elaine, I've really enjoyed my time talking to you today. Why don't you give us a pearl of wisdom to share with the audience that oh, we can hold in our wisdom. Please know that you are unique. You are a creative genius. And there is no other like you. There never has been, nor will there ever be. If you don't say it or create it, it won't be said or done. Okay. Well, thank you very much, folks. That was Elaine Clayton, author of The Way of the Impact. I appreciate her. I appreciate the audience as always. I am so grateful and honored that you guys tune in and listen to me each week. And I want everyone to remember that the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the masterful choice of discovering if you're an empath. Um, abundant blessings, light and love to all. Agape. Okay.